This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton, and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Good morning on this Monday, December 19th. You're listening to WNBF. Workers are busy constructing a new fire station next to a busy shopping center in Vestal. The building will be located just south of the Coles Department Store in the Parkway Plaza. The site is east of the PetSmart, Dick's Sporting Goods Warehouse Sale, and Target Stores. A former American Legion clubhouse that had been on the property for six decades was demolished in September to clear the way for the fire station project. The Vestal Fire District acquired the three-and-a-half-acre site in 2018 for $607,000. Last January, voters authorized the borrowing of $7.5 million to build a 15,000-square-foot station. Members of the New York State Police Troop C responded to at least 172 weather-related incidents since the snow began to fall last week. Troop C encompasses seven counties, Broome, Cortland, Shenango, Delaware, Otsego, Tioga, and Tompkins counties. Of those 172 weather-related incidents, 81 were for assisting a motorist or a disabled vehicle, which also includes vehicles going off the road that did not get damaged. 88 crashes with no injury and only damage to property, and three crashes with an injury that is non-life-threatening. On December 17th at approximately 10.20 a.m., the state police responded to a report of a two-vehicle serious injury accident on County Route 11 in the town of Bath. Investigators say a northbound vehicle being operated by Brandy White, age 39, from Bath, New York, moved into the southbound lane, striking a vehicle head-on. Miss White was pronounced deceased at the scene. The operator of the southbound vehicle, Jordan Smith, age 30, from Knoxville, Pennsylvania, was taken to Robert Packer Hospital in critical condition and subsequently died Saturday night from his injuries. John Burns, 58, of Cortland, New York, was sentenced to serve nine years in federal prison for distributing, receiving, and possessing child pornography, announced United States Attorney Carla B. Friedman, Matthew Scarpino, special agent in charge, Homeland Security Investigations, Buffalo, New York Field Office, and New York State Police Acting Superintendent Stephen Negrelli. As part of his guilty plea, Burns admitted that he actively traded child pornography image and videos using a social media messaging application located on his electronic devices, and that on January 4, 2022, he distributed a video file depicting sexual conduct with a child who is between 8 and 10 years old. Burns further admitted on February 24th he received a video file depicting sexual conduct with a child who is apparently 6 years old. Finally, Burns admitted that on March 8th, he knowingly possessed over 2,000 image files and over 750 video files depicting child pornography on his cellular cellular telephone, iPad, and two tablet computers. Chief United States District Judge Brenda K. Sands also imposed a 15-year term of supervised release, which will start after Burns is released from prison, and ordered him to pay $15,000 in restitution and a $600 special assessment. Burns will also be required to register as a sex offender. Rafael Rondon, 25, of Watertown, New York, pled guilty in federal court in Syracuse to possession of an unregistered sawed-off shotgun. As part of his guilty plea, Rondon admitted that on June 29, 2021, he possessed an unregistered sawed-off shotgun hidden at a relative's property in Lewis County, New York. The sawed-off shotgun was recovered after FBI agents, U.S. Capitol Police, and New York State Police executed a federal search warrant at Rondon's residence in Watertown, New York, on June 29, 2021, for evidence related to criminal activity at the United States Capitol building on January 6, 2021. 
During the search of the Rondon residence in Watertown, the cut barrel of a 12-gauge shotgun was discovered. While being questioned, Rondon admitted that he possessed a sawed-off shotgun and later took agents to a relative's property in nearby Lewis County, where the unregistered short-barreled 12-gauge firearm was recovered from an outbuilding. Sentencing for his conviction for possession of an unregistered sawed-off shotgun is scheduled for April 21, 2023 in Syracuse, New York, at which time Rondon faces a, min- a maximum sentence of up to 10 years in prison, a fine up to $250,000, and a term of supervised release of up to three years. Twitter users will no longer be able to link to certain rival social media websites, including what the company describes Sunday as prohibited platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Mastodon. It's the latest move by Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk, to crack down on certain speech after he shut down a Twitter account last week that was tracking the flights of his private jet. The banned platforms include mainstream websites such as Facebook and Instagram and upstart rivals Mastodon, Tribal, Noster, Post, and former President Donald Trump's True Social. Twitter gave no explanation for why the blacklist included those seven websites, but not others such as Parler, TikTok, or LinkedIn. New York City Mayor Eric Adams is bracing for another influx of buses carrying thousands of migrants from the U.S. border with Mexico as a Trump-era health edict is set to expire. The rule, known as Title 42, allows federal officials to prevent asylum seekers from entering the country during public health emergencies. The Trump administration invoked the rule during the height of the coronavirus pandemic, but with the pandemic waning, the Biden administration is poised to let the rule expire. Adams says it could result in more than 1,000 additional asylum seekers arriving to his city every week. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Joseph live in a crowd in a city Undercover on the edge across at me with eyes that look but cannot see out of reach out of love stepping out of bounds and we are on the air for your Monday, 607-772-1290, the hotline is open. Stand by for the voices of the people, your friends, your neighbors, and maybe a few people you've never heard. Coming up live on News Radio WNBF. Hope you had a great weekend across the Twin Tiers, around America, and wherever you may be on planet Earth. If you're listening at a location other than planet Earth, please stop. You're not authorized to listen. This broadcast is for planet Earth only, so that limits our audience to approximately 8 billion people. 
at 92.1 FM, 12.90 AM, streaming at WNBF.com. Always available on the free WNBF app. If for some reason you are not inclined to call this morning, perhaps you will be inclined to send an email. If you have thoughts, uh, send an email. Go right ahead. Bob at WNBF.com. Here's an email that came in moments ago from a week ago. Jesse, the subject line, should I stay or should I go? A question I frequently ask myself. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, Jesse writes from Tioga County, cracks me up. Actually, Musk, that's Elon Musk, Musk should have never been the front man in the first place. I don't use Twitter, but still it's hard to tell if Elon Musk is a genius or on the verge of insanity. Let's say half and half. Thank you, Jesse. The um, story du jour or at least the story of the moment at Twitter. Storyline always seems to be in flux at Twitter. For the moment, we're told, Elon Musk must, ha must leave. He must leave because he said he would. He set up a poll on Twitter on Sunday, and he said if the people who voted in his poll wanted him to leave, he would. Uh, so the poll, I guess, went on for 12 hours. You know, don't you hate it when people say, you know, on the radio? At any rate, I've used Twitter for over a decade. Initially, I was reluctant. I think I signed up for Twitter about the t time that they signed me up to do this program. And somebody said... Not sure exactly who. Somebody said, well, if you're going to be doing a talk program, you probably need to be on Twitter. And I seem to recall rolling my eyes and expressing skepticism about the concept because I, I wasn't then and even now not really a, a fan of social media. But people said... If you're going to be trying to promote a talk program, it would be in your best interest to be on Twitter. And so I signed up. I did. And I know my initial tweets were completely forgettable. A few things, you know, just general guess about the program, nothing of substance. Even now, a lot of the tweets aren't of great import, but still... I have grown fond of the Twitter platform over the past decade or so. And so that's, for now, I'll maintain my position on, plat on uh, Twitter until, <laughs> until something happens. Until something happens. Of course, there's been a lot going on. And then with the latest of As the Musk Turns... You would think, because the poll he set up apparently is, is finished, 
You would think now he will step down. I think this was his way of setting up. It, it was his exit strategy. I think he wanted to uh, quit because not so much because he wants to quit day-to-day -day operations and manipulation at Twitter. I think he sees what's going on with his uh, more important enterprise right now, Tesla. Tesla shares are way down. And so investors have said, Mr. Musk, please stop fiddling around while Tesla burns. Get back to business at, at Tesla and get Tesla back on track. And then if you have free time, use Twitter as your hobby. So we'll see. If he chooses someone, I, I will say if he taps me to be the new person in charge of Twitter, I will accept. <laughs> the only reason I dare to say that is I know there's no chance at all that he would tap me to be in charge of Twitter. You talk about a, a no-win position. Talk about a person who will be hated by the masses. So I, I do think ultimately he'll find someone at least who will run day-to-day -day operations. He'll still be involved. I mean, if he wants to, let's face it, he doesn't have to be the big guy at Twitter. He owns the dump. So in the end, even if he's not running the place on a daily basis, his uh, pronouncements will ultimately carry a lot of weight. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, that's the story about Twitter. It's 917. More coming up, including phone calls. Stay tuned. Bob Joseph live on WNBF. Hey, don't blame me, it's just the computer picks out the music. There's an old Australian stockman lying, dying. And he gets himself up onto one elbow and he turns to his mates who are gathered around and he says, Watch me wallabies feed, mate. Watch me wallabies feed. They're a dangerous breed, mate. So watch me wallabies feed all together now. Time your kangaroo down, sport. Time your kangaroo down. Timey kangaroo down, sport. Timey kangaroo down. Again, there's a backstory to how that happened, and you're not going to hear it. Not today on the program. Maybe I'll put that in my book. Again, don't look at me. I just work here. Uh, it's 919 WNBF. Let's go to the phones at 607-772-1290. We began the week with Larry in Kirkwood. Good morning. Larry. Larry, are you there? Hmm. Hmm. Let's try John in Binghamton. Good morning. This has all the earmarks of a, a radio talk show for the ages. You there, John? Yeah, I'm here. All right. Um, well, that's that's a plus. 
I, I, I thought we were going to go wind up going the whole week without telephones, but at least the record will show. One call did get through, and you are it. Congratulations. Uh, stop by the station before 930 and pick up the keys to your brand-new Buick. No, I, I thought you had an Irish Rovers album <laughs> for me. <laughs> you know, again, <laughs> timey kangaroo downsport. What the heck? I mean, I know we're supposed to be playing the sounds of the holidays, and that is certainly one of the traditional holiday songs in Australia or someplace. It reminds me of some steakhouse that feigned uh, uh, an Australian connection. Anyway, that's not why you called. You called about American Rescue Funds. American, what's it, ARPA? ARPA. Is there any yeah. ARPA money left? I, I, I hear a lot of local governments are squander, squandering ARPA funds on all sorts of um, wackiness. Well, you know, millions of dollars, and uh, there's never any meeting of the minds. Garner and Cram are giving away millions of dollars, uh, dribs and drabs to, to local nonprofits so they can uh, seem benevolent with our money. But problem is, is that the county, Garner, is misusing, you have to go back to the tobacco money, you know, $60 million is still owed on that deal, to see more flagrant abuse of uh, a funding source. Uh, Jason Garner is using this rescue, these rescue funds, to rescue uh, the richest people in the area, some of the richest people in the area. Uh, you know, I mean, people that could, could, have the ability to finance projects themselves, are now getting American rescue funds. Uh, the banks that are doing these projects are essentially uh, mitigating their exposure, their risk, by American rescue funds. Uh, these are going into real estate deals. Now, what does this area really need? And I'm going to submit to you, and I've said this for over 25 years, uh, the Binghamton area is very unique as far as home building goes because it has not attracted any interest uh, by the national uh, publicly traded home builders. Uh, it's also an area where a home built, say, in 1990 uh, qualifies as a you know recently built home. Uh, and we're not attracting any home building whatsoever. What we're building here is subsidized apartments with subsidized tenants. Uh, not, you know, not a, uh, a bad thing. Uh, and it's a great thing to the people that get the apartments. I mean, it's, it's a, a fabulous windfall for them. You will never get them out of these apartments <laughs> ever well, in it's sort of in, in its own way, and I'm not saying it's exactly comparable, but sort of in its own way, it's similar to New York City. If somebody is in a rent-controlled apartment, you're not going to get them out. There was just a story uh, a couple of weeks ago about a guy living in New York City, last guy in a rent-controlled building, and they've been doing all sorts of things, he says, the the building owners, to try to get them out. I mean, as far as harassment, loud music at night, um, mystery green liquids coming down uh, from the the apartment above. But he ain't going because whatever 
I can't remember the exact amount, but whatever the the rent was was something like in New York City, uh, eight hundred twenty dollars a month for an apartment that probably, uh, without rent controls, would be going for five or six thousand dollars or more a month. So, yeah, they well, you know, some people actually make out because of these laws. Again, I'm not saying what what you described here in Broome County is exactly comparable to the rent control laws in New York City, but it is interesting. Well, it is. And, uh, you know, what what these people do, and it's all done through the IDA, uh, you know, the Oakdale Mall, I mean, think about this. The Oakdale Mall, when this project is completed, this Oakdale Commons or whatever the hell it's called, uh, 20 years from now, it will not be generating the amount of property taxes and school taxes that it generated in 1980. <laughs> you know, in spite, in spite of all the taxpayer money going in, the old Oakdale Mall, of course, didn't have 10 cents of taxpayer money going into it. So this is what they're doing. Garner needs these $5,000 uh, contributions that he's getting, and he's getting them all from people that he's bequeathing uh, these American rescue funds to. That's, that's the deal. And then we have this uh, complete uh, uh, misuse of funds that are going to enrich a family, one of which is a county employee and a village justice, by paying three times the appraised value. Now, if you went to uh, if this pri- if these this property is so important to the county uh they could eminent domain it uh, but i'll tell you what under eminent domain nobody's going to pay three times the appraised value i mean this is this is crookery uh that that is unheard of you, you don't get three times appraised value uh for property uh, unless you're near Micron in clay. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I don't know what they're doing, but I do know this, Bob, that unless this area returns to, uh, on the town level, on the village level, uh, to some form of honesty, and we don't see it. I mean, the great revitalization of Endicott, you know, there must have been a sale on gray paint. Uh, uh, there must have been a great price on gray paint. It looks like the stuff that I used to paint the foundation walls with. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a putrid gray paint, and there's the revival of Endicott, New York, in a nutshell. Oh, by the way, I, I misspoke. I had to look up that story. I, I thought the rent might have been 800 or $850 a month. In uh, that apartment in Brooklyn guy who has lived in the same building he's 77 now and he's lived in the same building for decades his rent in crown heights brooklyn is 450 dollars a month imagine that well if you have an extra two minutes i'll give you a personal story on rent control and hud and everything else and i'll really encapsulate it fast i i didn't know any i was about 21 years old i didn't know anything about hud or rent control any of these stuff so I had seen an apartment in the L.A. Times that was uh, located in a very desirable area in West Los Angeles, and it said $200 a month. Now, this is going back 50, 60 years. So I said, well, geez, hey, and it, it had a, a doorman and a parking garage. I said, this is unheard of. I, this has to be some sort of scam. So I get down there. 
Uh, it's a beautiful apartment, uh, double sinks, all the accoutrements of 1970. And it's in a building that's a couple of years old. So I go in, and there was a bunch of cast of characters that lived in the building. It was about nine stories tall, and they nobody ever seemed to work in the building. It sounds uh, like a and, TV show almost. Sounds like yeah, almost yeah. A, a sitcom that could go on NBC, except it was real life. Well, it was actually uh, uh, two doors down, maybe two uh, from the uh, building, uh, the Cannon building, if you remember the television show Cannon. Uh, he was in an older building there. But anyway, to make a long story short, uh, the, 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 the long-term tenants told me that you know, on that side of the Sunset Strip, the L.A. Marshals uh, were in charge of the evictions, and on the other side, the L.A. Sheriff. And the problem with the L.A. Marshals is they only had four people that did evictions. So you really didn't have to pay your rent in the building because they never would be able to evict you. And uh, anyway, the upshot is about 15 years later, they made it into a hotel. I had moved out, of course, and they offered people $50,000 in 1984 to move out of the place. And there was three holdouts, and uh, essentially they converted it to a hotel, you know, like a $600 a night hotel. And those three tenants were moved out. Their rent was paid. They put a washer and dryer, and and they're still in there to this day, living in a hotel. Uh, you know, paying about uh, four hundred dollars a month. <laughs> what? Uh, that's bizarre. But as they say, true life sometimes yeah. is stranger than fiction. Thank you, John. Appreciate your yeah. call. Nine thirty. In the Great Northeast, this is Bob Joseph live at News Radio WNBF 92.1 FM, 12.90 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. WNBF Monday morning with Bob Joseph live. I was a little too tall, could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering out. She was a black hat beauty with big dark eyes. And points all her own, sudden way up high. Let's go back to the phones right now. Larry in Kirkwood. Good morning. You're on the air. Oh, so sorry to everybody. My phone slipped out on me. That's why you didn't hear my voice. <laughs> that was crazy. Well, it's great to hear you now. Yes, sir. Hey, listen. That Wallaby song you started off with earlier was very interesting. <laughs> it's one of those things that happens uh, once every couple of decades, and all you can do is look at your radio and say, what is going on there? Yeah, for, at first I was thinking, what's this? This is weird. And then I heard the Wallaby. Oh, I remember this from a long time ago. Well, it was, um, I guess it was the singular hit of uh, the legendary Rolf Harris. So... If uh, that's one of the songs that uh, they said back in 1957 when it came on the radio, it would make everyone Rolf. Yep. Of course, hearing uh, Bob Seger singing Night Moves isn't too bad either. But 
<laughs> yeah, they're, they're they're pretty much comparable. Okay, well, let's talk about Elon Musk. Yeah, now, let's talk got, about him. What what do you think? You know, I gotta re, I gotta agree with the guy who who uh, texted you. I mean, I'm 100 percent, of course, for what Elon has done, taking over Twitter and everything. But really, it's really true. I mean, the guy is a genius, obviously. He runs two major companies. But, you know, you do have to be a little bit crazy to do that. I mean, to run such a big company like Twitter, along with Tesla, which I hear is pretty big, too. So I think, yeah, there's there's a little bit of craziness there, I'd have to say, you know. Crazy like a Fox News channel. Yep. Well, it's something I would never do. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, no, it, it's on one level, it's fascinating. On another level, it's disappointing. I, I don't know what to expect with him. It is his company now. He bought it, apparently, with mostly with his own cash. I guess he wound up finding some other suckers to go in. I mean, excuse me, some other investors to go in. And, look, it's still early in the game. I don't know how it's going to play out, for all we know. He, ultimately, ultimately... I think you feel the same about Elon Musk like you do Donald Trump. You don't like him. <laughs> I love them. I love both of them. And if if I had my druthers, I'd invite them over for Christmas dinner. But it makes no difference. I'm not going to invite either of them because they won't they won't even consider going. So it's that's beside the point. I I offer here and now to Elon Musk and Donald Trump either of them if they show up in Binghamton before the end of the year. December 31st, 2022, at 11.59 p.m., I offer to take them to the speedy place of their choice and buy them two speedies, each, and whatever beverage they want. That's my offer. But you know what? They're such big guys, they won't even acknowledge the offer. I know they're busy. I know in the next 12 days they've got things to do and people to see and certainly i'm not one of the people they want to see but still you would think with that kind of magnanimous offer they at least would have one of their minions contact me and say bob that was a generous offer and we thank you for it fortunately mr musk or unfortunately mr trump is unable to take you up on that offer would you extend the offer through january 31st and then they may be able to uh, both come to binghamton to have a speedy with you yeah, you're small potatoes there, bub. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, well, you know, not losing any sleep over at 938 WNBF. Good morning, you're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Hey, Bob, it's Ron calling from Binghamton. Good morning, Ron. Good morning. Say, tie me kangaroo down sport. I got excited when I heard that because I thought that was going to be a lead-in to your finally trying Vegemite, I guess, but I guess not, huh? It could happen this week. Of course, you've heard that how many times before? And uh, yeah, countless times. There, there. Yeah. yeah. So, but it still could happen this week. But then again, a lot of things could happen this week. So, if, yes. It, yes. it's if you call 
If you call the experts at the casinos in Vegas to get the latest line on the likelihood of me trying the Vegemite by the end of this week, they, they would say, eh, the odds don't look good. But, but that means now would be a great time for people to place their wagers because when the odds don't look good, if it turns out that before noon on Friday I actually try the Vegemite you gave to me, that means some people stand to have uh, a very, very happy holiday season. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, hope um, springs eternal. You know what? You played uh, Timey Kangaroo Down. There's another silly uh, Australian song, which I think was the 1960s, so it's later than the one you played. Do you remember... Does your chewing gum lose? Oh, that. The good news about that one is that one will not even accidentally wind up on this program. Yes. That was was the first hit by Huey Lewis in the news. And I got to tell you, when I was a kid, I used to look at the radio. It was probably tuned into WENE. And I would look at the radio, then look at my mom, and then look at the radio again. And... It was a short song. The good news about the song, the only good news I can say about that song is my recollection was um, short as these songs go, maybe two and a half minutes long. But I, I still, if radios, if transistor radios weren't so expensive back then, I would have thrown my transistor radio against the wall and watch it smash into smithereens. But I, uh, I contained myself. I was uh, a good Bob because I wanted dessert that day. And, and that, uh, yeah, that song, it was actually Lonnie Donegan, but come on, man. What kind of a song is that? Well, so uh, we should stand by for that or not? No, you should not stand by. And by the way, I had to look it up. He's not Australian. He, oh. uh, he was born in Scotland. I didn't know until I just looked it up. And uh, Anthony James Donegan, he was also known as the King of Skiffle. I think that's probably a peanut butter that they make in Australia. The same company that makes Vegemite makes Skiffle. He was the King of Skiffle, Skiffle peanut butter, sold in the U.S. as Skippy. So he, uh, let's, let's read the story about that fantastic song, because you're not going to hear it here. No. Oh. oh, okay, okay. You will hear it here. I oh. I won't tell you when, but between now and noon, you will hear it here. And the only reason you will hear it here is because you're one of my favorite callers. If it was anybody else bringing it up, I would say you won't hear it here today or ever. But because you are one of our better callers and one of our most loyal listeners, that novelty song by Lonnie Donegan which was released in 1959, uh, will be heard at some point today, between now and noon. So congratulations. I hope you're happy now. By the way, I remember how I said that I, I thought the song was very short and maybe only two and a half minutes long? Guess what its actual length is, according to Wikipedia? Uh, three minutes, uh, 22 seconds. 2.29. Oh, so I just I just guessed. Now, also on Wikipedia, oh, it's a long story. Maybe I'll read the long story. If anybody has a computer, they could look it up 
on Wikipedia and get the whole story of that novelty song from 1959. Does your chewing gum lose its flavor on the bedpost overnight? And and again, anybody else? Any? I'm serious, Ron. Anybody else who called in and suggested, or even begged and pleaded that that song be aired today would have been met with a decisive no. But again, because you are one of our most loyal listeners and consistent contributors with thoughtful topics, we will play not the entire song, mind you, but we will play uh, at least the first 20 or 25 seconds, which ought to be, I would say that ought to suffice. Well, Bob, you know, that's the only song I can think of, actually, that has a word as part of its lyric uh, being tonsils. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you may be onto something. You know what uh, does happen these days with music, and it's happening more frequently, actually, in the last year than even in the last several years, in the past 12 months or so, a lot of the new hits that the kids love involve something called sampling. So current artists, very popular artists, with various current musical genres, will sample, pull out a a bit or piece from a previous hit. So this strikes me as an opportunity for someone, oh, we'll just say somebody like Taylor Swift because she can make a hit out of anything. So if Taylor Swift wants to really get my attention, she should grab a sample of something from that two-and-a-half-minute song by Lonnie Donegan and turn that into her first big song of 2023. And the thing is, she could do it. Yeah, She won't do it, but she could. Yeah, yeah, they dropped that in there. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, do we still have time about why I called, or are we? No, sadly, we ran out. This happens oh. all too frequently, where yeah, where we I get know. off on a tangent, and and you lose lose the opportunity. But there's always tomorrow. Well, okay, because okay. I do have another timely topic. Uh, okay, possibly I'm sure it will still be relevant tomorrow morning. Okay, Bob. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> It happens. It happens frequently with um, Ron and I. We get going on some sort of tangent. Then we're completely out of time. And the reason for which he called has to be held off for another day or another week. Life is strange. 946. Bob Joseph live at News Radio. WNBF and WNBF.com. When I add. Bob Joseph live at the radio station that you all know and love called WNBF. Back to the phones we go. It's Carolyn Johnson City. Good morning. Hi, Bob. How are you? Good. Gosh, I never start out the conversation that way. I just really start going into the subject. But um, anyway, when uh, John called this morning, he uh, when he mentioned one thing about uh, the program Canon, which brought to mind the character, uh, William Conrad. And again, you know I don't have the Internet, so this is all from memory. 
that he um, played. I want you to look this up as we speak. When was Gunsmoke on the radio? William Conrad's voice is so deep, and you know, and he's short and rotund. And uh, if you can imagine him playing, when you think of uh, James Arness, I think it's James Arness uh, playing uh, Matt Dillon on Gunsmoke on the television. But William Conrad was the voice of Gunsmoke. Yeah, it says on the the internet, it says his deep, resonant voice was heard in the role of Marshal Matt Dillon on CBS Radio's gritty Western series Gunsmoke. Was it in the 40s? Was it the 40s? It was in the 50s. 50s. It says 1952 through 1961. The producers originally rejected him for the part because of his ubiquitous presence on so many radio dramas and the familiarity of his voice, but his impressive audition could not be dismissed, and he became the obvious choice for the role. Conrad voiced Dylan for the show's nine-year run, and he wrote an episode in 1953 called Sundown. Wow. Well, that was the that was on a Saturday night when I would uh, stay at my grandmother's house because we'd go to mass uh, early in the morning because uh, we lived right like two houses on the same oversized lot. So it was you know whatever. Now you go down the back steps and go up my grandmother's front steps. That's how close it was. So the other programs that were on were uh, Our Miss Brooks with Richard Crenna. Richard Crenna was his uh, was her foil. You know, in, in high school, when uh, Eve Arden played Armis Brooks on the radio, and then she also played it on television. But she was, if anybody doesn't remember who that is, she was the principal in Greece, the movie Greece. She was the principal, Eve Arden. And, uh, you know, it's like all these voices that you, you know, heard on the radio in the old days when you actually get to see them, especially Richard Crenna. Because he was he was a character on that on that program. Yeah, I'm I don't looking know. at a picture of Richard Crenna. He plays in cowboy movies. He was very good looking. Yeah, he he looks he looks like uh, the prototypical Hollywood actor. Very uh, good looking guy. Well, how old was he when he was playing uh, the high school student? He was probably he just had this like really whiny voice. He was great on the radio. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Uh, what what uh, show was it on? Our Miss Brooks. She was a school teacher. That was, according to the internet, nineteen forty eight to nineteen fifty seven. I knew it. I okay. See, I said the late forties, but I yeah. also thought I was a uh, Gunsmoke was in the late forties, also. But I guess not. Forty eight. Wow. Yeah. How old was I? Seven. I oh. was seven wow. years old. There you go. Okay. Another program that was on the same night, and I can't remember the title because it was it was either Grand Ole Opry on the radio or this other program that came along later. I don't think it was uh, in the 40s and 50s, but uh, can you look up uh, Grand, Grand Ole Opry on the radio? Oh, or I th- could. Saturday Night Hayride. That, that was Saturday you know, Night Hayride. Hold on a second. Now, now. And Grand Ole Opry. All right, hold on. Saturday. Grand Ole Opry, I've heard of Saturday Night Hayride. Uh, but the Opry, I think, was uh, was on the radio. But, I mean, Saturday back Night in the Hayride old days, was on the radio. I, I believe so. I was uh, something because I think Saturday Night Hayride came along later. Hmm. But it was because oh, Minnie Pearl. I remember Minnie Pearl. When what was, was the day. deal? And I'm sorry for being 
personal, but she always used to have this tag on her hat. What the heck? <laughs> right? She always had this tag on her hat, and she wouldn't take it off. picture hat. Why? Why? Well, you know what? She made such an impression on me that that's what I do. That's what I do sometimes with furniture, not necessarily with lamps. That's okay, but... But I do it on TV. Just... I'm looking. I just punched up her picture now. Every picture. Well, okay. There's one where somebody stole her tag, but otherwise, every picture that pops up shows her wearing this tag on her hat. Why? Well, you know, everybody's got to have a gimmick. I guess. Well, it that was, was, but that was her. So gimmick. here's my question to you. Obviously, Minnie Pearl was not a real name. That right. was her stage name. Guess what her real name was? Well, Actually, this is funny because it's it's a coincidence. It, it, I, it's tied in to what you talked about in the first part of the call. Guess, take a guess. Well, you'll never guess her given name. Well, I I saw an autobiography of her, not an autobiography, a biography back when the uh, A and E Network used to have uh, biographies. Mm. Oh, I used to love that. Program. So her name was Sarah Ophelia Collie Cannon. Cannon. Oh yeah. my gosh! So there. And, and uh, she was—I uh, think she was an educate. I mean, she was a college graduate, or maybe I'm mixing her up with someone yeah. else. No, oh, she uh, and she had chicken restaurants. Well, that's all the time we have. But boy, we learned a lot from that call. This is Bob Joseph live WNBF. More call. Uh, more calls coming right up on this Monday morning. Do you need a car? Well, many people do, and. Many people who need a car go to Miller Motors on the Parkway in Vestal, 4455 Vestal Parkway East, directly across from Binghamton University. And you may ask yourself, well, why would they go to Miller Motors on the Parkway in Vestal? Well, because Miller Motors can help get you a brand new Honda, a brand new Hyundai, or they can also find an appropriate late model used vehicle. They have the used vehicle inventory online at MillerAutoTeam.com. Miller Motors, they've been there on the parkway for decades and they will be there for a long time to come. They can assist you with a new vehicle, a used vehicle. Also, they have a body shop. They provide great service parts, etc., etc., etc. Miller Motors, they do it all. They're open tonight till 7. Stop in, see the members of the Miller Auto Team today or anytime this week on the Parkway in Vestal. Signed 57, Bob Joseph, live on WNBF. The I'm Bob Joseph, live on a Monday morning. You're listening to News Radio. WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com at 10 o'clock. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Monday, December 19th. You're listening to WNBF. Workers are busy constructing a new fire station next to a busy shopping center in Vestal. The building will be located just south of the Coles Department Store in the Parkway Plaza. The site is east of the PetSmart, Dick's Sporting Goods Warehouse Sale, and Target Stores. A former American Legion clubhouse that had been on the property for six decades was demolished in September to clear the way for the fire station project. The Vestal Fire District acquired the three-and-a-half-acre site in 2018 for $607,000. Last January, voters authorized the borrowing of $7.5 million to build a 15,000-square-foot station. Members of the New York State Police Troop C responded to at least 172 weather-related incidents since the snow began to fall last week. 
Troop C encompasses seven counties, Broome, Cortland, Shenango, Delaware, Otsego, Tioga, and Tompkins counties. Of those 172 weather-related incidents, 81 were for assisting a motorist or a disabled vehicle, which also includes vehicles going off the road that did not get damaged. 88 crashes with no injury and only damage to property, and three crashes with an injury that is non-life-threatening. On December 17th at approximately 10.20 a.m., the state police responded to a report of a two-vehicle serious injury accident on County Route 11 in the town of Bath. Investigators say a northbound vehicle being operated by Brandy White, age 39, from Bath, New York, moved into the southbound lane, striking a vehicle head-on. Ms. White was pronounced deceased at the scene. The operator of the southbound vehicle, Jordan Smith, age 30, from Knoxville, Pennsylvania, was taken to Robert Packer Hospital in critical condition and subsequently died Saturday night from his injuries. John Burns, 58, of Cortland, New York, was sentenced to serve nine years in federal prison for distributing, receiving, and possessing child pornography, announced United States Attorney Carla B. Friedman, Matthew Scarpino, special agent in charge, Homeland Security Investigations, Buffalo, New York Field Office, and New York State Police Acting Superintendent Stephen Negrelli. As part of his guilty plea, Burns admitted that he actively traded child pornography image and videos using a social media messaging application located on his electronic devices, and that on January 4, 2022, he distributed a video file depicting sexual conduct with a child who is between 8 and 10 years old. Burns further admitted on February 24, he received a video file depicting sexual conduct with a child who is apparently 6 years old. Finally, Burns admitted that on March 8th, he knowingly possessed a, over 2,000 image files and over 750 video files depicting child pornography on his cellular, cellular telephone, iPad, and two tablet computers. Chief United States District Judge Brenda K. Sands also imposed a 15-year term of supervised release, which will start after Burns is released from prison, and ordered him to pay $15,000 in restitution and a $600 special assessment. Burns will also be required to register as a sex offender. Rafael Rondon, 25, of Watertown, New York, pled guilty in federal court in Syracuse to possession of an unregistered sawed-off shotgun. As part of his guilty plea, Rondon admitted that on June 29, 2021, he possessed an unregistered sawed-off shotgun hidden at a relative's property in Lewis County, New York. The sawed-off shotgun was recovered after FBI agents, U.S. Capitol Police, and New York State Police executed a federal search warrant at Rondon's residence in Watertown, New York, on June 29, 2021, for evidence related to criminal activity at the United States Capitol building on January 6, 2021. During the search of the Rondon residence in Watertown, the cut barrel of a 12-gauge shotgun was discovered. While being questioned, Rondon admitted that he possessed a sawed-off shotgun and later took agents to a relative's property in nearby Lewis County, where the unregistered short-barreled 12-gauge firearm was recovered from an outbuilding. Sentencing for his conviction for possession of an unregistered sawed-off shotgun is scheduled for April 21, 2023 in Syracuse, New York, at which time Rondon faces a, a maximum sentence of up to 10 years in prison, a fine up to $250,000, and a term of supervised release of up to three years. Twitter users will no longer be able to link to certain rival social media websites, including what the company describes Sunday as prohibited platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Mastodon. It's the latest move by Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk, to crack down on certain speech after he shut down a Twitter account last week that was tracking the flights of his private jet. 
The banned platforms include mainstream websites such as Facebook and Instagram and upstart rivals Mastodon, Tribal, Noster, Post, and former President Donald Trump's Truth Social. Twitter gave no explanation for why the blacklist included those seven websites, but not others such as Parler, TikTok, or LinkedIn. New York City Mayor Eric Adams is bracing for another influx of buses carrying thousands of migrants from the U.S. border with Mexico as a Trump-era health edict is set to expire. The rule, known as Title 42, allows federal officials to prevent asylum seekers from entering the country during public health emergencies. The Trump administration invoked the rule during the height of the coronavirus pandemic, but with the pandemic waning, the Biden administration is poised to let the rule expire. Adams says it could result in more than 1,000 additional asylum seekers arriving to his city every week. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Joseph live, the real Bob Joseph. Except no cheap imitations on those upstart social media platforms. This is the genuine Bob Joseph, as seen on the radio at News Radio WNBF and WNBF.com. Want to hear about the deal I'm making? Hmm. Yes. Tell me about the deal that you're about to make. You say you want to be a talk show host. See if you can make that deal. <laughs> Running up Ingram Hill. With a snow brush. Brushing all the snow, ice, and slush out of the satellite dishes. That's what it's like. The glamour of radio. All righty. 607-772-1290 is the number. All calls will be entertained. Not all calls will be accepted, but all calls will be entertained. 607-772-1290 is the number for the inner sanctum of our studio. Surrounded by concrete, steel, and glass. It's one of the nicest radio studios in downtown Binghamton. It is. You can also uh, send an email to the uh, the people who read our email. <laughs> I think it's a, a committee of attorneys. Um, they will look at your email if you send it to bob at wnbf.com. Bob at wnbf.com. On the email. Uh, Chuck from Newark Valley. Bob, what was the title of the first intro song this morning you played? It was spooky sounding. Chuck from Newark Valley, I believe you're referencing... A song called Dance Park by the legendary bakers Martha and the Muffins. So if you like muffins and you like Martha, 
Go out and buy the album. Martha and the Muffins with their smash hit, Dance Park. I think that's the one you were referencing. Uh, what else? Oh, here's one. It says, not for air. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Don't send me stuff like that. If you send me an email and you put not for air and it's an e email like that, it might wind up being read. So I'm just saying, kiddo, not for air. Well, then not for air, then don't send it to me if it's going to be that kind of an email. Come on, man. Seriously, man. <laughs> Anyway, send me an email. Oh, the other thing, I don't mention this very often, but it still applies. If you have a news tip, if by chance you have a news tip, and many of you do, um, of course, you can call it in to your favorite journalist, your favorite reporter, or your favorite news organization. If by chance your favorite journalist isn't me, or if by chance your favorite news organization isn't WNBF, by all means, send it to the people you think can make the most of your news tip. Otherwise, send it to me, Bob, at WNBF.com. I always do appreciate the news tips. Uh, I mention quite often that some of the most interesting stories that we uh, report on are a result of news tips. So, not all of them, but a significant number. I'd say a lot of them are because of good old-fashioned original reporting with a guy who goes trudging around in the snow and the ice and the slush and the mud and the muck. That's what I was doing this morning before I got to the beautiful Binghamton Now Lofts. <laughs> Binghamton Now Lofts. It has a nice ring to it. Hi, join me. Living in luxury at the Binghamton Now Lofts. Anyway, the, um, the upshot is send your news tips to bob at wnbf.com if you wish. Uh, I was out reporting. I won't specify precisely where, but there is a story that we've been keeping an eye on for a while now. And lately, I've been uh, more and more curious about what the heck is going on. So on my way in, I thought, well, I'll go and ask some people. Maybe some people know what's going on. So I got some information this morning about a story that we have reported on in the past with uh, some enthusiasm. And we will soon have an update that you'll hear on your radio station, WNBF, 92.1 FM, 1290 AM. And, of course, available on the free WNBF app. It also, by the way, will be available at WNBF.com. It's a nice website. Let's take a call. WNBF, good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? I'm Beverly Number 2 from Town of Dickinson. Hi, what did you do with Beverly Number 1? Where is she? What did you do I with Beverly know. Number 1? Beverly Number 2? Listen, I'm well acquainted with Beverly Number One because I listen to your program all the time. I've listened to WNBF since I was in grade school. I'm 86. But anyway, you know, I used to listen to those old radio programs like Mike Sal and Ma Perkins. And, but anyway, that's not why I called. 
I called because I want to thank somebody for getting traffic directions at Otsenango Park on Saturday night. There were actually law officials there directing traffic, and it went much smoother because the, the traffic is unreal there, people going into that park Saturday night. So I just want to thank somebody for that. You know what might have happened? Somebody. I don't know. Maybe somebody did it. Well, I'm, I'm going to say somebody might have been listening to the program a few days ago and said, you know, that is a serious issue. And because of a thoughtful caller bringing it up on, on the program, sometimes I, I truly believe sometimes this program helps get some action. And I, I think that that's a possibility in this case, that uh, because of the popularity of the holiday lights at Otsenango Park, um, perhaps a person who brought this up on the program may be at least in part responsible for them providing additional um, traffic guidance and making it a better, a better experience for everybody who loves the holidays. Yes, it was just, just wonderful. Now you can work on one more thing. How about if we have more light between Prospect Street and Broom Tech? It's so dark in so many of the places, and I don't know if the lights are out. I don't know what the light bulbs boom out or if they something other reason why there's not enough light on Front Street. It's so dark. Well, and I think those are generally new lights. Weren't those lights installed as part of the uh, upgrade project over the last year or so? Well, I some. don't know for sure, but some may be, but... Some of them, there's, there's, there are, you know, lamp posts there, but there's no light. It either the, does the bulb blow out, or did they disengage them, or um, there needs to be more light, and especially at the roundabout too, yeah. all the way from Prospect Street. And why aren't some of those lights turned on? And it was always very dark back before the roundabout, where you entered exit five. It was always dark right at that corner. So I don't know why we can't have more light on Front Street between there and Broom, Broom Tech. Oh, you can tell I'm an old cottage. Yeah, Broom well, Tech. that's okay. <laughs> yeah, SUNY Broom, whatever they want to call it. I mean, I still, there are a few things around here that I still call by their old names. Just Sometimes it's just to be um, cute. But sometimes right. it's just because, hey, I've lived here all my life. So there, there are a couple of things. I'm so old sometimes just to be cute, not because I don't know better, but it's just to show how old I am. Sometimes I refer to the National Weather Service as the United States Weather Bureau. Oh and my and they, they haven't been the Weather Bureau for more than, well, we'll just say a long time. But sometimes I do it just to, just to be kind of cute. But... You know, they've been the National Weather Service for a long time. I remember they, the U.S. Postal Service. I remember when they came up with that name instead of, it used to be just called the United States Post Office, and then they came up with a name called the United States Postal Service in 1971. And as a kid, I was so excited in the summer of 1971 when they came up with a new name and that stylized Eagle logo that you now see. Uh, oh, mailboxes yeah. so that they did that in 1971 i believe it was july 1st and i as a kid by the way by the way this sheds light on on my childhood i was so excited as a kid 
that I went to various post offices around Broome County getting envelopes with the first day cancellation from different post offices because they had the new stamp when it wow. officially became the U.S. Postal Service. And because I was sort of engaged in coin collecting and stamp collecting back then. So as a, as a kid, you know, we, we couldn't afford color TV, so... You know, we could hardly afford TV. Yeah. Well, now look <laughs> at it. Remember the first TV? How big was it? I don't know. It was huge. The screen was—I don't know—was it twelve inches? Oh well, I, when I was a kid, I don't think we ever had one of those small TVs. When I was a kid, we had fairly big, but it was black and white. And uh, I remember hearing something about—I think one of my rich friends. They got hold of a color TV, and I asked my mom, I said, Mommy, why can't we have color TV? And she gave me um, some color markers, and she said, Knock yourself out. <laughs> well, we didn't have color TV to start with either. It was black and white. So, yeah. And even back in radio, because, you know, we grew up listening to the radio, and we had this big, remember the big tall radios? Yep. With, with the tubes and everything, and... I remember us kids used to have to take turns hanging onto this wire in the back because it would fade out. I don't remember <laughs> why we did that, but we had to hang on to this wire because it would fade away. Well, well that, that was sort of it served as an antenna. By the way, getting back to the situation about the lighting on Front Street near the roundabouts and also the intersection of, well, going up toward SUNY Broom, I think that ultimately, as in maybe by next spring, I think those lights are going to be energized and they'll be on. I think, I think their intention was to get those lights on by now, but I, I think they just weren't able to do it before the winter weather. So I think... Well, that could be. Yeah. yeah it's, and I, we'll I was, give them a chance. Yeah, I was, and if I have a chance this week, I'm not sure that I'll be able to call the DOT to verify that, but... Um, I'm looking through my emails from the DOT and from Scott Cook, and we were talking going back a few months ago about the work that still had to be done as part of the project. Um, and it, the last email I received didn't mention anything about lighting, but for some reason, I think when I spoke with him on the phone at one point, he did say, I think he said something, or maybe it was actually... Uh, Michael Marinaccio, the town supervisor, who had mentioned it. But somebody, I think, mentioned they plan to improve lighting along that area. So I'll try to well, either get in so. touch with Scott Cook from the DOT or Michael Marinaccio with the town of Dickinson to find out about uh, the lighting situation. Because you're right, it's, it's not well lighted. And it definitely, that's always been a problem anyway, that stretch, because a lot of students and others would use that stretch um, going towards SUNY Broome. And right. at night... It's never been well lit. No. It just seems like forever. I, I, and before they even put the roundabout in there, it still was very dark at yeah. exit 5. Well, one of the problems I see, and we've talked about this on the program previously, is... Um, the DOT designs these projects, whether it's a roundabout project or highway improvements, as they did a few years ago on Route 17 between Johnson City and Vestal. So they spend 
millions of dollars to upgrade lighting. And for about three months after they get the project done, all the lights are working and it looks beautiful. And you think to yourself, wow, we look like a real community now. And then for whatever reason, either they have operational problems with the underground wiring for the lighting, or more often the local municipalities say, we don't want to pay for that, so we're not going to pay to have the lighting on some of these highways. That's another excuse or another problem because the state doesn't right. pay the, the electric bill for the lighting. It's up to local towns, so town of Dickinson or town of Union, town of Vestal, village of Johnson City, if they have lights within their boundaries on um, these state highways, they have to pay the bill. And I know elected officials sometimes say, hey, we don't want to pay for highway lighting because that doesn't give us any votes. All it does is raise our our budget cost every year, and we don't get any votes for it. People driving through on Route 17 or Interstate 81 or driving through on Front Street, as a rule, they're not necessarily voters. So I think that's what happens. I think the right. state needs to come up with a new uh, policy regarding highway lighting. If the state maintains the roadway, which if they construct it, put in new lighting, and they're responsible for maintaining the roadway, then they should pay the bill because otherwise local municipalities are going to opt out. I think it's their responsibility. Well, look at the whole stretch. I was just on uh, 201 between Johnson City and Vestal um, a couple nights ago. And there's a stretch there. I think it's on the Johnson City side. Lights aren't operating. I don't know in this case if it's because the village isn't paying or if there's a technical problem. I'm, I'm kind of thinking it's a technical issue as opposed to the village not wanting to pay for the, the lighting on that stretch of 201. But anyway, it was really dark and kind of kind of treacherous in, in the snow or rain. But, um, yeah, I, I just think New York State's highway lighting policy leaves a lot to be desired i think you're right we certainly need more lighting here anyway yeah i know there's other places like uh even clinton street bridge sometimes why aren't those lights always on well in that case if it's clinton street bridge it's the city's responsibility that's a city maintained bridge so whether it could be very possibly could be that they have problems with the wiring that's a lot of times that's the case sometimes people think well i mean the wiring's underground what could go wrong well what goes wrong with underground electrical connections is water and salt get in with our our winter weather the freeze and thaw and that causes corrosion and that a lot of times it takes a lot of time and sometimes a lot of money to find where the problem is and fix it. So I'm not sure, with Clinton Street, I'm not sure what the problem is, but that could be part of it. But anyway, we're, we're here to help if hopefully oh. people people listen to the program, sometimes are, are taking notes. If they hear of a problem, sometimes they'll look into it and try to get it fixed. Right, it worked with Otson Eagle Park. Yeah, I commend the, the county or I mean, whether it was Broome County Security or the Sheriff's Office or a combination, whoever 
managed to um, make things better. I, I uh, thank them for uh, making it an improved experience for everyone. And I thank you yes. for your call. Well, good talking to you. We'll be listening. Thank you. And I'll be here. 1029 Bob Joseph Live serving you with a microphone and a telephone. And then a transmitter. Actually, two transmitters now. AM and FM. 1290 AM, 92.1 FM, and of course, streaming live at WNBF.com. I never write. Of the logical host. Yes, indeed. 607-772-1290. Well, we certainly talk about the destruction of the media. Uh, in this country uh, regularly on this program and there is uh, just a shocking story that's in the New York Times this morning I guess it seems shocking but in fact it should be no surprise there's a guy who was just elected to Congress and he is a mystery man yes he's full of mystery full of mystery. His name is George Santos. He's been elected to Congress and they say he's um, deceived the public. His resume is full of holes. It's a big, big story in the New York Times today about this guy. We'll talk more about his situation later. It's, it's a cautionary tale about the things that are going on in the United States because, well, candidates, for example, are not being properly vetted. How this guy ever wound up even becoming a candidate for the House of Representatives now seems to be something of a mystery, but now he's been elected, so he'll be sworn in in a couple of weeks, and his resume is filled with holes, lots of questions, and he will not answer them. But, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that coming up. WNBF, uh, you're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Beverly, number number one. Number one. Hi, Beverly. Hi, what's up? Well, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. They um, they they need to turn those lights on on Front Street. Yeah, they do, Bob. I agree, hundred percent. 
because, you know, people, people, they get on that roundabout. The minute they see their old fun street, they dart. But they don't, they don't realize that there's other cars, you know, that there's other cars around them, you know. They need to put those lights back up. Well, I worry in the winter, say when it's snowing or sleeting or, or raining, I worry that there's going to be a terrible, terrible crash. Well, Bob, uh, we got we got hit in the back twice already, but but no one got hurt. Uh, it was just like just like a touch, you know, nothing serious, and uh, everybody put on their lights on on their blinkers lights. Of course, uh, you know, uh, one man, one man got out, and he asked if we were hurt, and I said no, but there was only just this other car in us. There was no, but they got to put those lights back because uh, it's a safety issue now. And the way those kids come down out of out of broom out of Stony Broom, forget it. They go right through like the. I still. We have. Uh, we have. Um, oh, what is it? Uh, how fast you can go on Front Street? I think it's thirty miles an hour. I'm not sure. And uh, they. Uh, they race. They race right through. I mean, they don't even look. They just step on the gas and move it. Well, aren't you afraid? Well, I, yeah, I am, you know, that's why I don't go out a lot, because, I mean, you can't, uh, when you go up Fun Street, uh, you have to, you have to get on that circle, you can't make a left turn like you did before, I, and now that I think about it, I think they should have left it the way it was, I mean, people stop for, for lights and everything, Bob, now they don't, they just sail through there like a, like it's gone out of style. Well, I think people should use more caution if they're going to travel through there. But the other thing is, I think it's time for them to put the lights on. I think it's time to put them back on. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's my... And again, that's a personal opinion. That's not the opinion of the station. That's just my personal opinion because I want to save lives. See, what yeah, my personal opinion, and this has nothing to do with politics, this has nothing to do with the state, or nothing to do with the town, it has nothing to do with personalities, I'm about human life, and I don't want to see people yeah, injured, that's true. That's Yeah, and true. I don't want to see people killed, I don't want to see a horrific pileup with uh, shattered glass and twisted metal and broken dreams. That's right. I don't want to see that, but but they sail down they sail down there like they're going out of style. All right. Well, I, I've put that on my list of things to look into, and I think I'll investigate to find out why it is that way and what they intend to do about it. Okay. Yeah, I got something else to tell you. My grandson, he's seven years old, and we were talking about robots yesterday. And I said, well, your aunt would like a robot to do the dishes. You know what he said? He said, yeah, but, yeah, but Grandma, you got to waterproof them. True. 
I see. I, he, I, said, that's, grandma, he said, Grandma, you know why smart. I said, I know you. Yeah, that's uh, it's an interesting thing. Oh, I just got a, a message. Yeah? About the lights. I just got a message on Twitter. Good. The Wasp says, Bob, cars have headlights. Highway lighting is nice, but not required. So according to the Wasp, um, the people have headlights on their car. And the Wasp says, highway lighting is nice, but not required. So apparently the Wasp doesn't agree that they should turn on those lights. Well, Bob, I... I I still say they should. I say they should too because it's a clear and present danger. Now I understand. I don't disagree with the wasp, if that's a real name. But personally, I think in this particular case, given the traffic volume and the number of pedestrians, I think since they have, they went to the expense of putting in the lights, Ms. Wasp. Come on, man. If you put the lights in, that means they're needed there because the DOT would never, never spend that kind of money on um, uh, street lighting if they didn't determine that it was needed there. It's there to save lives. So let's, let's all get behind this, Ms. Wasp, and all fine Americans, and say, turn on the lights and let's save some lives. That's right. Save lives, America. That's right, Mom. I don't want to report on Christmas Eve that somebody is in the hospital or somebody is dead because of a horrific crack-up at one of those roundabouts. Or worse, somebody... I don't know how the buses get around there. That's another thing. BC Transit buses have to maneuver around there. What about them? What about their drivers? In the beginning, everybody thought it was a good idea. But once you, you know, but once you get used to it and you see what's going on, that's another thing. Well, you know why they thought it was a good idea? Because on paper, the designs probably showed that there was lighting. So if you see lighting as part of the project plan, you would think that means the lights will be used. Even if some That's people right. think it's nice but not required. You're right. You're right. People who say highway lighting is nice but not required. But my point is, if you went to the expense of putting in thousands and thousands of lights along roadways in Broome County, you spent the money for the poles, for the bulbs, and for all the wiring, the underground wiring, which costs probably a million or more per mile, then use the lights. This is this is a fraud on the American public. Yes, it is. This is a scandal. It, it sounds like it is, Bob. Well, I, I I'm not you. saying it is. I'm just saying it sounds. No. It, it it could be. It sounds like Lightgate. Right. Sounds like somebody got paid a lot of money to put in a lot of lights, knowing full well that they wouldn't be used for long. That's what it sounds like. And coming off the highway there, you know, onto Front Street, that's another. That's another thing too. They sail down. They sail down that down that exit too, like a, to beat the red light. I know. That's a shame. Anyway, appreciate your call. Okay. Bye bye. Ten forty-four. Again, 
I'm just saying the optics don't look good. If you put in lights, whether it's on Front Street or Route 17 or Route 201 or Interstate 81 or the Clinton Street Bridge, then keep the lights operating. Maintain them, fix the wiring, replace the bulbs, and keep them energized. I'm about protecting American lives. I'm Bob Joseph on WNBF. When I Bob Joseph live Monday morning WNBF. Back to the phones we go. It's Tony and Conklin. You're on the air. Good morning, Bob. Uh, interesting conversation about your roundabouts. Um, I was just recently up in Albany area, and uh, there was a new small roundabout. And with all the snow, someone must have gone through there at night um, and didn't see that it was a roundabout, and they jumped the curb, went straight all across the right side, and went straight down the other side as if they didn't even know the roundabout was there. And, um, yeah, I, I saw that happen. That. I saw that happen with the Ryan roundabout here on Court Street about two years yeah. ago. There was a guy, he was driving a pickup truck, and he drove his pickup truck through the roundabout, but he was pretending that the roundabout wasn't there. It was a snowy night. I didn't actually see yeah. the guy, but I, I saw the tire tracks. So it was like a guy who apparently, apparently because it's difficult to see the roundabout, he, he tore through there, and he treated it. Uh, he went from the east side of the intersection out toward the west side, and he um, he decided he didn't need no stinking roundabout. So he, he went kind of, he, he created his own traffic pattern. That's exactly what happened to someone. I, I saw the tracks, and I just kind of go, oh, boy, yeah. So lights are good. But what I, I called about was, um, well, on the way here, it started out the parkway. Um, MacArthur's going to need to be cleaned up again. It's starting to get black. But that's a whole other story. What I called about was... By the way, thanks for mentioning that. I drove by there. I only go that route maybe once a week. I drove by there this morning. I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking, is it my imagination? Or is that MacArthur School looking crappy again? Just uh, a year and a half after they spent thousands of dollars cleaning it. So it's ironic that I felt the same way, and you, you brought that up. So thank you. I'm going to call the school district to see what they're going to do about it. Yeah, it didn't even last a year. It was quick. Um, okay, so I, I actually called. I, I see activity at the Crowley building. Crowley's went up for, that building went up for auction. But I'm looking on Broome County's site and i don't see who purchased it or i haven't heard what might be going on but there's a lot of demo inside coming out any idea uh not exactly i mean i've been following that story and i'll tell you there is a person who knows 
some stuff about the um, situation over there. And I've asked her and asked her and asked her repeatedly, and she won't tell me. She said she would. She, she, there is something that happened a few months ago, and I asked her politely. I said, please tell me. Send me an email so I can do an update on that. And so, so far, maybe she's listening. I know she's busy, but so far she, um, she hasn't told me what was going on because something was going on, and I'll, I'll try to see now. Here we are, um, just a few days before Christmas, and already I've got 20 stories I want to do before Christmas, and realistically I'm not going to be able to get to most of them because at this time of year, trying to get uh, in touch with people, it's it's almost impossible because everybody now goes into their holiday mode, and they probably won't answer their phones until about January 15th. Yeah, I understand yeah, that. Yeah, so I'll, I'll look into that. By the way... Um, so the cleanup, and again, th- here's another story that got scant attention, except on WNBF. And it appears nobody, nobody cared about the debacle at MacArthur Elementary School, uh, where it got so bad. And I'm looking at the picture before they did the previous cleanup. So they finally cleaned it up in August of last year, and it took a while, but finally... The city school district told me it cost $65,000 to clean up the mess of that new school. And here we are, approximately, I think it's about 16 months later, and it's starting to look bad again. It's not as bad now as it looked in the summer of last year before the cleanup crew came in. But the they sent a, a statement. Of course, as you know, the school district doesn't feel a need to answer my questions directly on the air, but they sent me because <laughs> they don't like my questions. But they, to their credit, they did send an email back to respond to some of my questions. And the person who is the director of operations for the school district said the black locust wood cladding was expected to quote develop a consistent gray patina over time. Uh, but he said, let's see, well, he made up some, yeah, well, that's, that's the thing. It's mold. And he said, well, they, what they did, and I actually called the guy who owns the company that did the cleanup work, um, some company, I think it's up near Syracuse. And, um, he said once they got started, it was pretty, pretty easy to do, but it took them three weeks. So it was mold and mildew, mold and mildew that they have had to use special pressure washers using hot water to clean the the junk off the the school. And you're right, it's looking starting to look bad again. It's start, yeah, it's definitely starting back. They, yeah. I don't know, they need to seal it or do something. Well, they oh, said um, this is this is what the school district said. The wood at the school is extremely dense and non-porous, therefore sealants would not help with maintenance. But she said the district is looking into a maintenance schedule that involves more frequent but less extensive cleaning that can be done by the school district staff. Well, apparently that's not working. Yeah, so get started. On yeah, it. but again, since it's the holiday week, I I can pretty much rest assured that I I won't get any answer about about the uh, MacArthur school condition this week, but I'll, I'll look into it. You'll, you'll get to the bottom of everything eventually. Eventually. That, that, yeah, that Crowley building, you're not getting answers. Maybe the IDA 
is just uh, putting their head, head in the hole because they're ashamed of how much money they're losing on it. Well, you know, I would be too. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars that yeah. are fighting the bull. No, and maybe they're the ones doing the clean out. Well, it could be. You know, it could, could be finally they decided that we're going to clean that crap out of, excuse me, we're going to take the equipment out of there and get it ready to sell the building because in its current condition, because they, the new the owners who bought the place did buy quite a bit of new equipment. They actually did produce a bit of kosher milk there for a while, but not for long. And and that was another, like m- many Broome County projects, another mysterious operation, another Another deal filled with all sorts of intrigue and lots of questions by people who didn't want to provide answers. That's when, Whenever I encounter something like that, where people don't want to provide answers about their project, it sends, sets up a, it sends up a big red flag. Appreciate your call. Yes, it does. Okay. Season's greetings to you. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and all that. Thank you, sir. It's 1056. Bob Joseph, trying to get a few answers for people around here. I'm on the side of the taxpayers. At News Radio, WNBF. Other people, they talk a good game, but who is actually working to save you money or at least see that your money is properly spent around here? You're listening to them on the radio, WNBF. Individual rates. Bob Joseph live on WNBF Bingham. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Good morning on this Monday, December 19th. You're listening to WMBF. Workers are busy constructing a new fire station next to a busy shopping center in Vestal. The building will be located just south of the Coles Department Store in the Parkway Plaza. The site is east of the PetSmart, Dick's Sporting Goods Warehouse Sale, and Target Stores. A former American Legion clubhouse that had been on the property for six decades was demolished in September to clear the way for the fire station project. The Vestal Fire District acquired the three-and-a-half-acre site in 2018 for $607,000. Last January, voters authorized the borrowing of $7.5 million to build a 15,000-square-foot station. Members of the New York State Police Troop C responded to at least 172 weather-related incidents since the snow began to fall last week. Troop C encompasses seven counties, Broome, Cortland, Shenango, Delaware, Otsego, Tioga, and Tompkins counties. Of those 172 weather-related incidents, 81 were for assisting a motorist or a disabled vehicle, which also includes vehicles going off the road that did not get damaged, 88 crashes with no injury and only damage to property, and three crashes with an injury that is non-life-threatening. On December 17th at approximately 10.20 a.m., the state police responded to a report of a two-vehicle serious injury accident on County Route 11 in the town of Bath. Investigators say a northbound vehicle being operated by Brandy White, age 39, from Bath, New York, moved into the southbound lane, striking a vehicle head-on. Ms. White was pronounced deceased at the scene. The operator of the southbound vehicle, Jordan Smith, age 30, from Knoxville, Pennsylvania, was taken to Robert Packer Hospital in critical condition and subsequently died Saturday night from his injuries. John Burns, 58, of Cortland, New York, was sentenced to serve nine years in federal prison for distributing, receiving, and possessing child pornography announced United States Attorney Carla B. Friedman, Matthew Scarpino, special agent in charge, Homeland Security Investigations, Buffalo, New York Field Office, and New York State Police Acting Superintendent Stephen Negrelli. 
As part of his guilty plea, Burns admitted that he actively traded child pornography image and videos using a social media messaging application located on his electronic devices, and that on January 4th, 2022, he distributed a video file depicting sexual conduct with a child who is between 8 and 10 years old. Burns further admitted on February 24th he received a video file depicting sexual conduct with a child who is apparently 6 years old. Finally, Burns admitted that on March 8th, he knowingly possessed a, over 2,000 image files and over 750 video files depicting child pornography on his cellular, cellular telephone, iPad, and two tablet computers. Chief United States District Judge Brenda K. Sands also imposed a 15-year term of supervised release, which will start after Burns' is released from prison, and ordered him to pay $15,000 in restitution and a $600 special assessment. Burns will also be required to register as a sex offender. Rafael Rondon, 25, of Watertown, New York, pled guilty in federal court in Syracuse to possession of an unregistered sawed-off shotgun. As part of his guilty plea, Rondon admitted that on June 29, 2021, he possessed an unregistered sawed-off shotgun hidden at a relative's property in Lewis County, New York. The sawed-off shotgun was recovered after FBI agents, U.S. Capitol Police, and New York State Police executed a federal search warrant at Rondon's residence in Watertown, New York, on June 29, 2021, for evidence related to criminal activity at the United States Capitol building on January 6, 2021. During the search of the Rondon residence in Watertown, the cut barrel of a 12-gauge shotgun was discovered. While being questioned, Rondon admitted that he possessed a sawed-off shotgun and later took agents to a relative's property in nearby Lewis County, where the unregistered short-barreled 12-gauge firearm was recovered from an outbuilding. Sentencing for his conviction for possession of an unregistered sawed-off shotgun is scheduled for April 21, 2023 in Syracuse, New York, at which time Rondon faces a, min a maximum sentence of up to 10 years in prison, a fine up to $250,000, and a term of supervised release of up to three years. Twitter users will no longer be able to link to certain rival social media websites, including what the company describes Sunday as prohibited platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Mastodon. It's the latest move by Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk, to crack down on certain speech after he shut down a Twitter account last week that was tracking the flights of his private jet. The banned platforms include mainstream websites such as Facebook and Instagram and upstart rivals Mastodon, Tribal, Noster, Post, and former President Donald Trump's Truth Social. Twitter gave no explanation for why the blacklist included those seven websites, but not others such as Parler, TikTok, or LinkedIn. New York City Mayor Eric Adams is bracing for another influx of buses carrying thousands of migrants from the U.S. border with Mexico as a Trump-era health edict is set to expire. The rule, known as Title 42, allows federal officials to prevent asylum seekers from entering the country during public health emergencies. The Trump administration invoked the rule during the height of the coronavirus pandemic, but with the pandemic waning, the Biden administration is poised to let the rule expire. Adams says it could result in more than 1,000 additional asylum seekers arriving to his city every week. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. News Radio 1290, WMBF. Bob Joseph live on a Monday morning. This is WNBF and WNBF.com. I think of all the worries people seem to find. 
complicate their minds by chasing after money and dreams that can't come true. I'm glad that we are different. We've better things to do. May others plan their future. I'm busy loving you. One, two, three, four. Six zero seven 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 two twelve ninety is the number if you want to participate in the broadcast. Bob Joseph with you, serving our community. This is our community. I was born here, and uh, I'm going to stay. That's my. That's just my opinion. <laughs> Some people are saying, "Please, please, go to Florida. Become a Florida man." No. Not yet, anyway. I won't rule it out. I will consider someday becoming a Florida man so I can make the news instead of report the news. So you can see, say, 10 or 20 years from now, you see the headline, Florida man does something newsworthy. And then you say, oh, I bet that's Bob Joseph <laughs> doing something newsworthy. Sounds like something Bob would do now that he's a Florida man. 607-772-1290. You are entitled to call in, if you please. You're also entitled to email the program, bob at wnbf.com. Good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Colin. I'm calling from Bustle right now. Hey, what's up? I had a question that maybe the, uh, what would you call that, the health department would check on, gone to uh, frequently to Lourdes, what have you, with uh, medical issues, and you stop at uh, a gas station, all of their uh, bathrooms are said out of order, out of order, out of order. And then when you asked if you could use them, I say, okay, why is that? You mean gas stations that have restrooms that claim to be out of order when, in fact, they're actually in order? Absolutely. Apparently, uh, they're having issues with uh, people that use drugs or do terrible things in the bathroom. That's true. That's true. I mean, it's not just gas stations. It's libraries. It's department stores. It's, I'll tell you, about any place that's public and even some places that are private, they're having some big problems right now. Sometimes people who don't have a place to stay, sometimes uh, people who have substance abuse problems, uh it's causing it's causing trouble with restrooms at gas stations uh fast food restaurants this is an ongoing problem and it's not it's not limited to here in binghamton oh absolutely but what happens when you know you just got out of uh therapy or what have you chemotherapy if you will from a hospital and you need to use the bathroom and say, oh you can't use that it's out of order it's a big problem, I, and I don't know what the solution is. 
I know a lot of businesses are are trying to deal with this, even, uh, and we've heard it mainly outside Binghamton, but I'm sure it is a problem, say, uh, even at, at coffee shops around here. Starbucks was reporting having a lot of problems at some of their Starbucks locations with people who were using the uh, restroom facilities to clean up, say if they had no place to uh, wash up or whatever, they were using restrooms for that. Sometimes uh, people were using restrooms to um, take drugs. Sometimes, believe it or not, some sometimes people were using the restrooms for sexual activity. God forbid. Yeah, I mean... You know, the thing about washing up, that's one thing, or using drugs, that's another, but sexual activity? I hate it when that happens. I hate it when it happens at the at the restroom. No. I mean, I don't, I mean, I can't speak because, I mean, I can't speak firsthand because the only thing that I ever have used these public restrooms for, whether at a gas station or a restaurant or whatever, is for their intended purpose. So... I don't know. I've never had a need to uh, wash up in a, a public restroom, or I've never had a need to shoot up in a public restroom, and I've certainly, so far, not had a need for other extracurricular activities in a public restroom. So I, I can't speak from firsthand experience. To me, it just seems like a, a rather unsavory location to be conducting this sort of business. Oh, I understand. What I'm saying is, is you pull in there, you you need to relieve yourself. Oh, it's, it's out of order. You can't use that. That's absurd. Well, I agree. I don't disagree. I I concur. But as as far as what can be done about it, I, I don't know. If, if you're encountering, if you notice it at specific gas stations or convenience stores where this is happening frequently, uh, maybe a call to the manager would make a difference, but probably not. Maybe um, a letter or an email to the company headquarters could make a difference, too, you know, to, to explain what your situation is, because it's, you're not, you're not alone. There are people um, people who listen to this program who need to use facilities at these places, or also people with kids. Denied. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a it's a serious issue. And I, if if other listeners have thoughts about what can be done, because I'm telling you, it's it's not uncommon on any given day for the cops around here to get called to a restroom at a gas station or a fast food restaurant or the library, or a department store, and many times it's it's for an overdose. It's for a person who's oh, overdosed. Absolutely. Yeah, so I don't, I mean, again, I don't know what you can do to encourage these places not to put fake signs on that say it's out of order when, in fact, it's in perfect order. They're just putting up the signs to try to head off problems, and, and then that makes it, it makes it a, a a big problem for you and other others who need to use the facility. So maybe our listeners have an idea. 
and that's understandable. Yeah, I Thank appreciate you. Thanks uh, for bringing that up. I think it's an important issue, and I don't believe anybody else has mentioned it, but it is, I think, uh, a growing problem. So if people, say if you run a business, if you run a restaurant or a gas station or a convenience store or a department store or another place that's accessible to the public, what can be done to keep these facilities available to the public? That's one thing places around the triple cities. We don't have public restrooms. Some communities, especially in bigger cities, do occasionally have public facilities, but there really are none to my knowledge in the triple cities if you gotta go you gotta go and if you gotta go sometimes you would think the most convenient place would be at a gas station or a fast food place or some place like that that's open to the public and then you quick park your car in an appropriate parking slot and go inside and then you see out of order. Well, that doesn't make your day better. 1119, this is Bob Joseph. 607-772-1290. You can also email the program, bob at wnbf.com. It's 1122 WNBF and WNBF.com. Truthiness, it's such a good thing when possible for people in the public eye to be truthful. That's, that's a nice thing, don't you think? Especially elected officials. Isn't it nice when elected officials are truthful? Unfortunately, there is a guy who recently was elected to the House of Representatives who appears not to have been truthful. According to the New York Times, this guy's name is George Santos, and sadly, the reporting, which appears today on the front page of the New York Times, is uh, at least a month late and a dollar short. I mean, they finally got around to it. The story should have been done uh, not on December 19th. It may have been more effective on October 19th. This guy, George Santos, is uh, apparently a person who has found it difficult, difficult to be truthful. So the New York Times took a close look at this guy's resume and found some problems with the resume. He's accused of touting a personal narrative that appears to be fictitious. Basically, a lot of things he made up. According to the New York Times, Mr. Santos catapulted himself from a New York City public college to become a seasoned Wall Street financier and investor with a family-owned real estate portfolio. 
of 13 properties and an animal rescue charity that saved more than 2,500 dogs and cats. But a New York Times review of public documents and court filings from the United States and Brazil as well as attempts to verify claims that Santos made on the campaign trail, calls into question key parts of the resume that he sold to voters. So the upshot is it looks like he lied. It looks like he lied based on the reporting of the New York Times. For example, according to this report, Santos had been telling people he attended NYU, School has no record, though, of a student matching his name or birth date. He also made other educational claims. He also said he worked at Citigroup. That company says it has no record of his employment. He also claimed he spent some time at Goldman Sachs, according to the New York Times. That's a big surprise to the people at Goldman Sachs. Anyway, they have um, looked closely at this guy's resume and it seems that there are many instances where he didn't tell the truth. According to the newspaper report, Santos has said he was born in Queens to parents who emigrated from Brazil and was raised in Queens. He said his father is Catholic and has roots in Angola. His mother was descended from migrants who fled persecution in Ukraine. Santos has described himself as a non-observant Jew, but has also said he is Catholic. The records, though, show Santos' mother lived for a time in Brazil, where she worked as a nurse. The records also show that Mr. Santos obtained a high school equivalency diploma uh, and also spent some time in Brazil. It says in 2008, when George Santos was 19, he stole the checkbook of a guy his mother was caring for. This according to Brazilian court records uncovered by the New York Times. The records show George Santos used the checkbook to make fraudulent purchases, including a pair of shoes. It says two years later he confessed to the crime and was later charged. Anyway, complicated story. Good work on the part of the New York Times, a news organization that actually still has some reporters. This report was by Grace Ashford and Michael Gold. If you get a chance, look it up online. I'm sure you're going to hear a lot more about this because he's going to be a member of the House of Representatives. <laughs> and the bigger issue here isn't whether he told the truth to voters in one election to Congress. The bigger question, in my mind, is how come candidates are not being properly vetted anymore by journalists? And we know the answer to that. It's because there are very few journalists left to do this type of investigation. So now the voters in this Long Island district have chosen a guy named George Santos who seems to have a few questions that need to be addressed. We'll put it that way. And he's not answering these questions. So I, I don't know. All I can say about George Santos is the story presented today in the New York Times doesn't look good.
until a few hours ago, I never heard of George Santos. And so now that this report appears in the New York Times, now would be a really good time for George Santos to begin answering some questions and explain who he really is and address the issues that are brought out in the newspaper report. As I said, it's too bad that this wasn't known two months ago. So people on Long Island would have been able to take that into account before they went to the polls in November, but oh well. On the other hand, given some of the other members of the House of Representatives, one might say George Santos could fit right in when he is sworn in in a few weeks. <laughs> He'll become a member, a member of the club. Welcome, George. Yes, we already respect you. <laughs> Let's go back to the phones. Let's take a call. Good morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Hey, good morning, Bob. This is DJ in Binghamton. Hi. Are you with me? Okay. Hey, um, did you get my emails? That's two of them. Yes, I did. Thank you. Okay. You didn't comment. Yeah, I didn't see anything about the... The, cra the one car crash. Well, the thing about the crash is, and that's interesting. Thanks for sending the info and the picture. Yeah. Given given the fact that I don't think anybody was hurt, we're probably not going to hear anything about the crash. It's hard enough, even when somebody no, gets but, killed in a crash in Binghamton, yeah. they don't release information. So, you know, the truth is, All right. I, I mean, I think you know, you've listened to the program long enough to know what we're up against. They, they don't want to release information, and I don't have the time to force them. You know, if I had, right, well, if that's the only story I had needed to work on today, I would get yeah. you information about it, whether, whether they wanted to release it or not. I eventually would get some details, but uh, unfortunately, since it looks like a light pole was damaged, and as far as we know, nobody was killed, I don't think that's a story that's going to... Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, the the light pole was broken in half. The city city picked it up this morning, and the guy was begging somebody not to call, so he probably got arrested. And the other thing was Andale. Did you get about Andale? Did you get the one about Andale. Andale. Andale means right now. Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. Hang hang on about that. Let's not talk about that right now. But that's uh, yeah. It's not. He didn't sign the deal yet. Well. Him, yeah. So, but yeah. But the the windows are papered up and everything. Well. One thing I did want to say. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, so we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Let's wait and see, like our favorite president always said. I always say what what uh, uh, what Al D'Amato used to say. We'll we'll find out in the fullness of time. Yeah. Hey, who's this? Uh, anyway, speaking of this uh, Santos plus, um, I always say to people when they say "Merry Christmas," I joke around and I say, "Who's Chris? Chris Kringle?" And yesterday I had the unction to. Uh, search it out on uh, Al Gore's internet. And when I did, I found out that Chris Kringle is not Santa Claus. It comes from the German word Kriskin, spelled K-I-N-D, but it's pronounced Kim, Kriskin. Well, I thought it was and invented is, by Krispy Kreme, so they could sell more donuts. Spirit. That's the spirit that traveled with Santa Claus, according to legend. And Santa Claus would go to a house to deliver a present. Let's say it was Bob Joseph's house. And he's going to deliver the present, and this spirit, this entity, this also known as a familiar spirit, Kriskin, renamed Chris Kringle, would tell Santa whether he should deliver or not, because the spirit, the familiar spirit, knew if the person in the house was naughty or nice. 
So that started being attributed to Santa. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. But it was Chris, Chris Kringle that knew if you were naughty or nice. And it's all to do with familiar spirits and witchcraft. And I wanted to say that. And also, uh, what else? Oh, uh, I was oh that which reminds me. Because we haven't heard from him in a long time. He used to be sometimes on Letterman, the amazing Kriskin. He was a magician, and he oh, used Kreskin. to be Kriskin. Yeah, the amazing Kriskin. No, it's Kreskin with an E. I thought it was the amazing Kriskin. <laughs> no, it's Kreskin. It's it with an E. I know, I used to watch him, the amazing Kreskin. He was the on, uh, it says here on Al Gore's internet, it said he was on Letterman, Howard Stern... <laughs> One time he tried right. to make Howard Stern disappear, and he was never invited back. And then no, uh, he it said he was also on uh, Jimmy Fallon. So he's... Oh, and even before that, I didn't realize this, uh, the amazing Kriskin was on... Kriskin. Kriskin. The amazing Kriskin. He's a <laughs> mentalist. He's a mentalist, and he was popular on, on TV. Because he, he uh, took his shtick from Mandrake the Magician, which was a comic strip, and he, he turned it into the amazing Kriskin. And so he was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson 61 times. So he was, he was popular even before he was on with Letterman. Okay, now don't do any commercials, Let me because there's something else I've been researching also. Wait, before one other thing about the amazing Kriskin. Do you know what his real name was? Kriskin. No. Do you know what his real name was? And, and now... Spell hey, it. Spell that last name. Kriskin. The amazing Kriskin. But do you know what his last name was? And this is why I'm wondering if he has any connection with this area. Do you know what his uh, name was when he was uh, born? Yeah, I think it was German. It was... It was German. Wasn't it? It was Kresge. Remember Roger oh. Kresge, the, the uh, yeah. well-known yeah. car dealer? So yeah. I'm wondering, it yeah. was it's spelled the same way, and so I'm wondering if the Kresge family, and there still are members of the Kresge family who live in Broome County, I'm wondering yeah. if, if there's any family connection between the Kresge's here in Broome County and George Kresge. It says he was born in New Jersey, He's now 87, but wouldn't it be interesting if the amazing Kriskin actually comes to <laughs> Broome County? Like, wouldn't it be funny if the amazing Kriskin is in town for the holidays and, and living or hanging out with some of his uh, relatives here and listening to the program? He'll call in and say, Bob, Bob, I'm the long-lost amazing Kriskin. Can I come by the show tomorrow and make you disappear? Yeah. And the next time somebody says Merry Christmas, tell them uh, who's, who's Chris Kringle. But I want to say this, Bob, I researched, listen to this. World War I lasted around four years. World War II lasted around six years. Now, it's inevitable, and I don't jump on these things to say this. I'm, I, take a, I take a while, and I research everything. And there was a program on yesterday morning, it's called Tomorrow's World, and they talked a lot about it. There's, we're definitely headed for a world war. When Italy and, and Germany and all the ones get involved, we're sending patriotic what do they call them? Patriot missiles to Ukraine, and that and Putin is fit to be tied. So there's going to be well, one. Putin is fit to be tied, and if only somebody would tie him, then the war would stop, and then we could, if if somebody would tie up the amazing Vladimir and bring him to Broome County for Christmas, we'd give him a good dinner and tell him how to behave peacefully. 
Don't be alarmed because we were told you will hear of wars. Oh, wars. don't, don't, hey, do not. DJ, don't do this to me during Christmas week. Come on, man. What? Talk you about are... a world war during Christmas. This is a no, time no, of joy. No, wow. it's a time of this joy and news. peace. So I'm saying it's not going to last that long. If it, it doesn't have to last that long. I said World War One lasted around four years. World War Two lasted around two years. World War Three could last a longer short time, but it's not the end. People say, oh, the end is going to come. It's Armageddon. No, it's not. It's a war. Oh, oh, DJ, don't say it's a war. You make it sound like it's just like, uh, I don't know, patching a pothole on Court Street. A war involves people getting killed, innocent people. Look how many thousands of people have died and been injured and how many homes and communities have been destroyed since the war began. I understand that, and I'm not making small of it or, or anything, right. but I'm just saying, okay. people are saying the end's coming. Well, so even, here's the thing, whether it's a world war that lasts for 10 minutes or 10 years, it's something to be feared. It's nothing, it's nothing, I mean, everything, everything possible should be done to prevent World War Three, even if it's going to be the shortest world war. Get Putin, Vlad, get Vladimir Putin to come on your show, ask him. Or, or, or no, Joe, Joe Biden. Ask Joe Biden why he's sending Patriot missiles. I agree. I, I, I read a story. Actually, it might even be it was in today's front page. No, I think it was yesterday's front page of the New York Times. And they were talking about how great, they didn't use the word great, but they were talking about the impact of all this military action, the war in Ukraine, and all the other military threats around the world how great this is going to be for the U.S. economy. Like Raytheon, um, BAE Systems, these companies, Lockheed Martin, these companies that make lots of money from the tools of war, from making weapons, they're going to clean up in the next year or two. I know, but you know what? You got a man who thinks he's on his way out, he's sick, he's, he's doing, you know, Vladimir Putin, he's an atheist. He's going he's gonna, to, oh, man. Don't send Patriot missiles to the enemy, Bob, or to help, you know, against the enemy. That's it. Here's the story. It was uh, the front page of the New York Times. Yesterday's okay. big story, Bonanza for Arms Makers as Military Budget Surges. And it says, think about this. In the coming uh -huh. fiscal year, the United States, guess how much the United States will spend on its military budget for the coming, or for the current fiscal year? Four billion. Eight hundred fifty-eight billion dollars. Whoa! All, d darn close. I was going to say a strong word, but it's the holiday week. <laughs> it's a it's a, it's a darn shame. Eight hundred fifty-eight billion dollars, and that's forty-five billion dollars above what President Biden has had requested. Eight hundred fifty-eight billion dollars. He's blowing all our money, Bob. He's not. Our Congress is. Our Congress well, approved spending 5% more than what President Biden requested. They've approved $858 billion. That's $45 billion more than he requested. That's obscene. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're being invaded by people with COVID and drugs sold into their lower intestines. Listen to you this. Lockheed Martin, so everybody knows... Everybody knows Lockheed Martin. You know, they have uh, an outpost in Owego. 
Lockheed Martin is the nation's largest military contractor. Lockheed Martin had booked more than $950 million worth of its own missile military orders from the Pentagon in part to refill stockpiles being used in Ukraine. The Army has awarded Raytheon more than $2 billion in contracts to deliver missile systems to expand or replenish weapons used to help Ukraine. The guy in charge of Raytheon, his name is Gregory Hayes, he said, we went through six years of stingers in ten months. He said they they fired off 1,600 of the shoulder-fired anti-aircraft missiles. That's what the U.S. sent to Ukraine in 10 months. He said it'll take multiple years for us to restock and replenish. They're, ma- they're making out like bandits. Oh, my goodness. That's what it's come down to. It's, it's, a, it's a shame. It's a shame. We spend so much money on defense compared to what we spend on helping our own people. It's not even close. The numbers are shocking. Bob Joseph, looking to preserve the peace in America and hopefully around the world here at the radio station with Peaceful Moments on News Radio, WNBF. Joseph Live. Peace Radio 1290 and 92.1. Let's go back to the phones. Morning, you're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Uh, Martin from Binghamton. Hey, what's going on in the First Ward? Well, I'm not much. Nice and quiet. You know, start the week. Um, I was a little remiss on Friday. I forgot to mention this about the uh, about the power of the photograph, of photojournalism. Um, that famous picture of, uh, called the Napalm Girl in Vietnam, um, and which won a Pulitzer Prize, and which also was uh, one of the main reasons the Vietnam War came to an end. Um, you know. The, that picture of that poor nine-year-old girl running down the road, you know, um, as I say, every picture tells a story, doesn't it? And that one certainly did. That photo was taken by uh, Nick Oot. But that uh, looked into it, and four bombs were accidentally dropped by the South Vietnamese. It wasn't us that dropped that bomb, which was, uh, but anyway, she's, uh, unfortunately, she still has pain. But um, she's written some books, wrote some books, and goes around the world and helping uh, children 
So uh, a good thing came out of it. But uh, it did, it did, and um, so that photo was taken fifty years ago, and Great. yeah, and I I uh, remember reading earlier this year. Um, a story, in fact, I just punched it up now because she wrote a guest essay for the New York Times on uh, June 8th of this year. And the headline is, it's been 50 years. I am not Napalm Girl anymore. And there was a photograph of her at her home in Ontario. Uh, and it starts off, I grew up in the small village of Trang Bang in South Vietnam. My mom said I laughed a lot as a young girl. We led a simple life with an abundance of food since my family had a farm. My mom ran the best restaurant in town. I remember loving school and playing with my cousins and the other children in our village, jumping rope, running, and chasing one another joyfully. All that changed on June 8th, 1972. That was the day that she uh, wound up being so badly injured. And um, I... I certainly recommend people look that up online to read the rest of her story what happened then in june 1972 and what's happened over the past 50 years yeah it's interesting you know that uh they defected um came over here for publicity and defected and but yeah just you know if you research it and look into it is very interesting but um what a strong woman and Unfortunately, but um, the interesting thing was that we didn't drop those bombs, though. You know, it was like it was the, what the Americans did. But the good thing is that it really accentuated the end of the war, that people said, this is enough, for Christ's sakes, you know. And those little kids running behind her, those are her relatives, her cousins. And um, But anyway, you know, it, that was a, they won a Pulitzer Prize for that. And... You know, and you also mentioned the picture of Rockefeller. So, you know, you're in the uh, right place at the right time, you know, that power of the camera can uh, do a lot for history. It's true. You know, uh, this is not directly related to what you mentioned about the um, power of photojournalism and uh, certainly the impact that a single picture had when it was taken in Vietnam 50 years ago. But there was another compelling story about uh, a young boy and his family who got out of Vietnam, and they came here to our area. They um, wound up a settling here thanks to a church in Appalachian, the Trong family, and some members are still here, and I... I know uh, we talked on the program with uh, Trung, Trung and uh, a few years ago because they were tearing down the old Vietnamese restaurant in Johnson City that had been his family's restaurant. Binghamton University came in. They bought the restaurant that was there. It was no longer operated by his family. But um, Binghamton University decided they would come in and tear down the restaurant for their little green space in Johnson City. And he saw that story on our website. He's now in New Orleans. He was a TV reporter. He, he grew up here in, in our area. His family resettled in Appalachian. They had quite a story, and he talked a bit about his story uh, escaping Vietnam in a boat in 1978. And fortunately, St. Mary's Church in Appalachian sponsored his family, so they settled here. They eventually moved to Johnson City and opened up that restaurant 
that uh, Binghamton University event then tore down. Uh, they tore it down in July of last year, but um, Trung Tron, I think sometimes he has called himself Tom Trung on, on the air, he reported for NBC Nightly News for a few years, but now he's uh, reporting in New Orleans. And what a story he had to tell, he and his family. Yeah, that was, that was a great restaurant over yeah. there. Yeah, it's you know, too bad I, that it's torn down now. Yeah, I but, have a lovely, lovely uh, Vietnamese family right to the right of me right here. And uh, their their son, uh, I pay him, he shovels my walk and does some stuff for me. Yeah. And, um, Unfortunately, you know. so, so many people from Vietnam and that part of the world were able to come to the United States and start new lives. Appreciate your call. Thanks for... Uh, sharing both uh, the memories of the um, the importance of photojournalism and also allowing me to talk a, a bit about a, a family that came from Vietnam to our area and really, really made a difference. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Have a good day. 1151, this is Bob Joseph. I'm here to serve you the best I can, doing it every day, trying to give you the information, some background, some history, and also looking forward at what's next, because this is WNBF and WNBF.com. Fifty-four WNBF. Back to the phones we go. Good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Good morning, there, Bob. It's uh, Dave from Bestel. Hello. Hey. Um, you know, I, I'm listening all day to the show, and you know, DJ talking about wars. You guys are talking about wars there, world wars. Bob, I really think there's a better chance of uh, a war within our own country than than a world war. I think the odds are higher there. The more the more the left wing looms keep trying to push communism on this country, people are going to say eventually enough is enough, and then we'll be battling. That's my prediction. Could mm-hmm. happen. Could happen. I predict that it won't happen, but you know, some people want it to happen, and uh, as more and more people want it to happen, uh, the odds of it happening will will increase. Hey, real quick, you guys, you were talking earlier about movies, too, Richard Crenna. Is he the one that was in the movie with uh, with uh, Sylvester Stallone there, the, all those first blood movies? Richard Crenna? Could have been. Is that the same guy? Uh, could have been. I, I really don't know. I'm I'm unfamiliar with Crenna, to be honest. Uh, and I'm not, I, I've never been a Crenna fan. Do you, do you remember uh, the Real McCoys? Remember that show when we were a kid? I remember there was a show. I also remember I didn't watch it. So I'm, oh, I'm, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So maybe I'll do some research and we can have a Richard Crenna salute 
on the program on Thursday. It's 1156. This is Bob Joseph serving America with a little microphone and a little telephone and a big, big mouth on WNBF and WNBF.com. Looks like we made it. Mission accomplished on this Monday morning. And we are only getting started for the week. I'm Bob Joseph. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to those who called today. Stay tuned. The news is coming up next. I'll be back tomorrow morning right here on News Radio, WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com.